0: Let's do this. What is virtualization?
1: you gonna learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise.
0: I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's gonna be a great day. I know you're gonna dig this. Oh, oh, oh yeah. You are listening to the Virtually Speaking podcast with Pedro Arro and John Nicholson.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Virtually Speaking podcast, episode number two hundred and five. My name is Pete Fletcher, aka Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is my good friend Mr. John Nicholson. John, welcome back from Disney World, my friend.
0: You know, it's uh, it's good to be back, Pete. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting trip. Oh yeah, <laughs> do tell. <laughs> You know, I I use the word trip and not vacation. I feel like that that sums it up. So
2: we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, I did get the inside scoop earlier from you and you had me rolling, man. Yeah, your trip seemed you could literally do like a comedy skit on just on just the craziness that ensued at your Disney trip.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when it when it starts with a 911 call and, and like, you know, having to do some questionable bandaging of lacerations and like, oh, yeah, that's just the start, Pete. Don't worry, it gets worse. It's like, <laughs>
2: this was I not the it.
0: happiest, that was not the happiest place on earth. Nothing against the fine folks at Disney. They, they were run a, yeah. great, a great show. But uh yeah, well, this is
2: usually where you give your good segue. And what what a tee up I gave you, man. So some things don't always work. They're not as simple as just, you know, going to Disney World and everything is fun, right?
0: Yeah. No, it's it's not, it's not always marketing. You know, you like to think that you're like, I'm on home turf. I know what I'm doing. I am a competent professional. I'm in a I'm in a Marriott. I know what to do once I get to a Marriott. Like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. And infrastructure is sadly sometimes the same way. So let's 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 yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. some yeah. experts.
2: And so on that, yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about Tanzu. The Tanzu. Yes, the Tanzu. And hey, there's no better person to bring on a conversation about the Tanzu than our good friend Mr. Mike Foley. Mike, welcome back to the podcast, my friend.
1: Hey, everybody. How you doing?
2: Good, good. First, you need to dispel a rumor. We play this sure. clip.
1: The
2: Tanzu. And John swears it's you. So, you know, uh, you know, suspense here. Is, uh, in fa- is that in fact you?
1: Well, let's see. I haven't had a drink in a year. So, no, probably not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, we're talking we're talking V-Sphere with Tanzu. And yeah. uh, I just, you know. There's so much to, there's so many different Tanzus for one, but also yeah. um there's a lot of folks that are just starting to get into, you know, Kubernetes and starting to understand, you know, how does VMware uh, and vSphere Tanzu specifically play into their situation? Uh, you know, it's different conversations, right? Different conversation for DevOps folks that are looking for self service compared to, you know, the the IT admins that are looking for the the governance. And so why don't we, before we dive too deep and talk about deployment and all that stuff, why don't we sure. at least just set the level and talk and, and and set the the fifty thousand foot view, sort of like uh, right. What exactly is Tanzu, and how does it meet both Dev and Ops?
1: It's it's both a floor wax and as a dessert topping. That's probably way out of date for most of the people watching. So uh, Tanzu is, is is an overall name, and there's primarily two products that you would be interested in: Tanzu Multi Cloud and Tanzu uh, as part of vSphere, known as vSphere with Tanzu. Uh, these are also known as TKGM and TKGS, and TKGM is the multi-cloud version. So that's the the one that you're going to run. Uh, you could run it in Azure, you could run it in AWS, you could run it on-prem. It's all and and has a long, rich history, uh, and that's where its design center came from. And at some point, we decided while we can run that on vSphere, yeah, we it doesn't. It it just treats vSphere as yet another platform to run on. How can we take advantage of some really unique and trusted capabilities of vSphere and present those to a Tanzu audience? Yeah, and that's where kind of the the root of TKGS or vSphere with Tanzu came about. And so what you're seeing is uh, some really cool integrations at a vSphere level that makes sense for a vSphere admin while still providing to the DevOps person a pure Kubernetes interface. They don't even know, or don't even have to know that they're running Kubernetes on top of vSphere.
2: Yeah, so same tools. They're just, it's a self-service portal for them. But the truth is, is they're, they're, I'm sure there are many devs out there that are not even aware that that vSphere is the underlying architecture.
1: Right, right, exactly. And you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's we're we're. St- I don't want to say we're early. We're still early in this because it's been out for a while. But boy, is there an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes for some of the new stuff that we're working on for future versions and such. It's uh, it's really exciting to see, especially seeing as how even folks like me are getting to say, you know, we should do it this way versus that way. And that actually shows up in the UI, Oh, nice. right? Yeah, yeah. I actually had a cool meeting yesterday where I had suggested something a while back and poof, now the UI developers are like, yeah, we like the way this works. And my focus on vSphere with Tanzu is what is the experience for the vSphere admin as opposed to what is the experience for the DevOps person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right. So I'm more interested in how do we get this installed, configured as quickly and easily as possible? And how does the, how do the day-to-management operations change or don't change from a vSphere admin standpoint?
2: Wait, wait. I, I thought, John, didn't you tell me that for Tanzu, I just enable the Tanzu button and everything works? It's just already installed. <laughs> Isn't it just a service?
0: That's that's uh, that's marketing at its finest, right there, Pete. Even you believe me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we we know it's definitely
2: not that way. But um, so why don't we? Yeah, I, to me, this is a good conversation to have for vSphere admins. You know, obviously we can we can bring on Miles and other folks if we want to get into the into the Kubernetes yep. uh, and and get deeper into sort of like what that looks like. But why don't we focus on the deployment and just sort of understanding uh, what it looks like for vSphere admins? So so how do they get started?
1: Plan, plan, plan. Um, your most successful installation will be one where you have planned everything out, where you the way I like to refer to it is sure you can go to AWS or Azure or some other cloud vendor, enter your credit card information and uh, the wheel spins on the browser and next thing you know, you have a Kubernetes environment. Yeah, that seems really simple. And why can't everything be just that simple? It actually is once it's all installed and configured and, and so forth, right? Yeah. from a vSphere admin standpoint, you are building all the things behind that spinning wheel, you're building the network, uh, you're building, uh, you're installing all the software, you're configuring everything so that to the DevOps person, it's KubeCuddle create application Mm. and it just poof, things start spinning up and networks become live and they don't have to ask for anything. They don't have to file tickets to get things done. They just cube cuddled, whatever. So the end user interface is extremely simple. And anything that has an end user interface that's extremely simple means someone has done the hard work to make yeah. it simple. Mm-hmm. The vSphere admin is doing the hard work. Now, mind you, um, a- as time goes on, we will make that less and less of a hard work thing. But it, it is still a relatively... Complex op set of operations to get that to work, uh, okay. to to get that up and running. Right. I don't want to dissuade anybody from it. It's <laughs> relatively straightforward, especially if you plan out your environment. It's not like the old days where you would, you know, download vCenter, uh, run setup.exe on your Windows v, v uh, system, and just go click, 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 and vCenter came up and you were ready to go.
0: Right? See, right. I, I never did right. that. I just mashed inner. I just mashed inner repeatedly. That. that was my thing <laughs> too. But so let, let let's talk about some of the prereqs, though. So I'm looking. I looked at some of the documents. It looks like I'm going to need you know half a dozen IP addresses. Uh, I assume we're going to need what other services we're going to need. We're going to need DNS names forward and reverse. It, it is 2020. 2020- Two, so uh, yeah, you
1: probably want to have DNS. Uh, The days of walking around with a floppy with a copy of Etsy hosts on it is long past. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, So, well, I I bring up
0: reverse because some people who do, you know. Questionable stuff in home labs. Don't always remember to set up reverse DNS. So
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, i i build I build my labs with an Active Directory and DNS and you know reverse lookups and NTP and all that other sort of stuff. I build all that infrastructure first before I go off and start. So you, doing you mentioned other NTP,
0: stuff. which time is weirdly important to me and I obsess over it. Um, do yep. Is the clock source for the, the management cluster is that coming through the hosts through VM tools or do you actually have to specify NTP and setup? Do you remember?
1: If if you recall a couple, a number of years ago, we started recommending that people use uh, native NTP rather than clicking the sync with your hosts. Right? Uh, I can't I think that was around six oh or so. So, yeah, you really want to use a, a proper NTP source. And honestly, for a home lab environment, um, Raspberry Pi makes a great NTP source.
2: Nice. Yeah, yeah. When when they don't break, though. Have you ever had problems it, with those? They, they do break. <laughs> I have finicky. a whole bunch of them. I have like four or
1: five Raspberry Pis. One's running my home automation. Uh, this one I'm playing around with. I have another one running my uh, 3d printer running octopi nice. uh, octoprint and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, they're, they're really neat little devices.
0: They just kind of spawn everywhere. They are a bit like gremlins though. You don't want to get them wet, but otherwise they, they're <laughs> going to keep going. So perfect analogy. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So from a, from a networking basis, do we need BGP? What, what are we looking at? Do we just need a gateway? Do we need a bunch of VLANs?
1: Oh man. it, 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 <sighs> This is this is like going to the car dealer, and they have everything from your absolutely bare bones Toyota Corolla all the way up to your you know dual wheel four door uh, Tundra type yeah. thing,
0: and everything in between. So that's ha. You're, that's uh, the 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 Toyota is ha proxy in this case, and the uh, yeah the 4Runner priced as a supercar is NSX Enterprise. Got it. So. Right and somewhere in the middle there's uh the
1: uh N- NSX load balancer formerly known as Avi right yeah. ah
0: yeah. so you can use Avi as the LB not just okay yes. well, actually Avi would probably be better cuz it's more application centric yes.
1: yeah yeah so the the thing around HA proxy and and the videos that I've created which we'll add in the show notes uh the videos that I've created were focused on HA proxy Michael West, one of my colleagues in tech marketing, has done some on Avi, and we all keep calling it Avi, but it's NSX load balancer, or NLB. And the uh, uh, that is a really, really, really good load balancer. I'm not a network guru, so I can't go into the minutia of load balancing yeah. stuff, but it's a very very good load balancer that has some capabilities that I don't think the NSX load balancer has, and you know we'll see how things progress around uh, the incorporation of Avi and NSX native. So uh, I think that's well, on, that's on the list to do.
0: It's nice that that exists though, because historically with load balancers, my experience is you went from basically things that were HA proxy with the UI to. These boxes that cost one hundred twenty thousand a piece and had this grow like glowing white light, but Bo- both the two major brands had this that was so shockingly bright you could use it as your north star when you got lost in a data center. And <laughs> Avi is this software, you know, package that doesn't require you buy these appliances, and and they were software first, API first, sure. And they they trended a lot later from a feature set on the scale of the latter. Well, pri- you know from what I've seen a pricing tend to trend uh, to be a little more generous. So um, that looks like that makes sense. So if you're looking, if you're just setting up a very basic lab or something, maybe you still might go with the HA proxy. But if you want to do anything fancy, any rewrites or um, application specific stuff, go, go straight to the. Yeah. The,
1: and, and, the and also um- Ha proxy is just one VM and it's very uh, low resource intensive. Whereas Avi, you're going to need more memory and and so forth. If you look in, I think William Lamb's blog, where he shows how to set up Avi with less CPUs and less memory. Um, obviously, that's a unsupported uh, configuration, but it will work. Up to,
0: you know, for a home lab environment. But yeah, Avi, that was one of the the questions I had is, yeah, at what point does the home lab resource budget trick in? But if I'll I'll look to William's article for that, because I mean, that is something you got to remember is I remember looking at the requirements saying this is a lot. Then I remembered a lot of those load balancers that existed, those appliances that I made fun of that cost so much, they had custom FPGA stuff running in them. Like they were not normal servers. Right.
1: And, you know, the thing is, is, each one of the load balances brings something to the table. Um, you can do HAProxy, but that means if I want to create, say, a second DevOps network, I have to manually go in and create a DV port group, and then I have to manually go in and configure HAProxy to use that new DV port group. And Whereas Shizzle, if I was VLANs, doing, op-
0: there's no overlay, right? Yeah,
1: and if I was to use um, NSX. All of that's automatic, right? The The end user gets to say, kubectl create network and NSX just does all the right stuff. Nice. And I believe okay, Avi so, does the same thing as well. So,
0: so if I'm only ever going to have three port groups and three networks and it's a single app with a des test that yeah. I might do that. But if I want to go any fancier than that, I'm going to want some overlay networking and, and design for that up front. Right. And, I, and, I your level of, and your level of planning for that goes up exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, but overlay networks are about spending a lot of time and sometimes money up front to not have to, every single time a request comes in, have someone go chisel a VLAN into a physical switch. Um,
1: yeah. And and actually, that brings up a, a good slide that I have on one of my decks um, where what is the common method that DevOps speaks to IT today? And in the middle, it's ServiceNow or the help desk ticketing system yeah right mm-hmm. so devops says hey i need uh, a block of ips and they need to be accessible to the the internet so that our customers can do something the response today is create a ticket yeah right which then in true devops fashion they figure out some other way to just go use some other thing that can happen quicker right so someone they, pulls they out super the internet card the and next thing you they, know they you're deploy, doing cloud yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah you know too, you're, do, so. you're doing hidden cloud
2: yeah, that's a story as old as time. I I know for a right. fact, you know, it takes a, it's a lot quicker to order <laughs> to get a VM back in the day, you know, you know, off of uh, the cloud than it would be to sit there and you know get a server from from IT if you're just trying to test something. Yeah, and yeah, so that story has definitely not yeah. changed. It seems.
1: I think we could so, probably call that crouching DevOps hidden cloud or something like that.
0: Ah, I like that. I, <laughs> that's a movie I'd watch. Um, so. <laughs> It, it looks like kind of once you set it up, the first thing you need to do is create the, the, the first thing coming out is a namespace. Just reminding everyone, what is an, what is a vSphere namespace uh, for Tanzu? What does that do?
1: The way the way I refer to it is, is a resource pool on steroids or a resource pool with policies, right? So it's based on a resource pool. So when I create a namespace, a new resource pool is created in that for that namespace. And namespaces are a Kubernetes construct as a way to say, okay, um, Pete, you have your namespace, and John, you have your namespace, and you guys can go create your stuff within your namespace, and never the two shall cross over. A vSphere namespace takes advantage of the fact that we've been doing resource pools for what seems like a century. Mm. And it's something that vSphere admins are very uh, familiar with. So now they could say prod and dev, or John and Pete uh, namespaces. And if Pete decides to uh, install something that takes up all the CPU, it's only taking up the resource pool that he's assigned to. It doesn't take away from John. Yeah. Right. So this goes back to basic uh, Frank and Duncan HADRS rule books that I think you can still get for free online. And uh, there's your plug, Duncan. and. by basing it on a resource pool, I gain that that vSphere functionality. So there's that integration between Kubernetes and vSphere and vSphere with Tanzu that I don't necessarily have with other products. Yeah. And uh, when I see the namespace, it allows me to assign storage to that namespace. Right. So I could say, okay, Pete, you're working on something that really needs all flash, so I'll give you an all flash data store or or what have you, uh, John? You need both. You need spinning rust and all flash, right? So I can I can assign those on a per namespace basis, and then I can also configure things like CPU and memory and so forth. Are what those policy
2: based? Like so, you're is that using and, storage and policy so. SPBM? Oh, it is. Is it using SPBM? Yes, it's it's
1: using SPBM, which mm. maps directly to a Kubernetes storage class. Oh, nice. Right. So if I have an all flash SPBM. In with Kubernetes, it's you just specify all flash, class. Yeah. all flash storage class. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to touch on before we dive in t- deeper is uh, when you install vSphere with Tanzu and you get it all up and running and, and everything's hunky-dory, you're going to see some new VMs. And those are uh, supervisor cluster VMs. And those are three VMs that are actually running a version of Kubernetes. Now some will say, yeah, but it's not an upstream compliant version of Kubernetes. That's true and it's not true. What it is is a version of Kubernetes where we've taken all of the best practices that upstream Kubernetes says you need to enable or or disable in order to run production and already applied those. Mm. So it's not out of the box Kubernetes, it's Kubernetes that all the best practices have
0: already been done. Oh, okay, nice. Well, right? But the key thing with the supervisor cluster if my understanding is it's kind of we don't generally talk about the supervisor cluster here is because you, you don't actually ever run containers on the supervisor cluster right. um you're, as a right. it, there are ones that run there they're you know load balancers there's other fun, they're vmware containers we're, we're but it's using it's kind kubernetes of a
1: dolish to run kubernetes yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Right. So
1: we're using Kubernetes, the supervisor cluster, right, as an interface. So the DevOps person can say, stand me up a Kubernetes cluster. And when it does that, the supervisor cluster will spin up a whole bunch of VMs that are running Kubernetes. Okay. So each of you can have your own fully upstream compliant Kubernetes cluster, which is just containers running on VMs running on
2: vSphere. So you only have one supervisor cluster that manages all the Kubernetes clusters that you create. And the
1: DevOps folks don't need vCenter access to do any of this. They're logging in directly into the supervisor cluster. So on the namespace, one of the other policies is I can say, John, you have full permission and Pete, you have read permission or, you know, uh, read-only type permission. What that means is John can kick off new workloads. Pete, you can only use the workloads that John has already created. So from a DevOps team... You. <laughs> from an From a... De- <laughs> Just saw her last night on TV. Uh, from a DevOps standpoint, John could be the lead DevOps person and Pete and a whole bunch of other people could be... The programmers or the uh, testers or whatever in that group—they don't need to create new things. They're just using stuff that John's already created.
0: Understand so, all right. So, just to be clear, each namespace is going to build out its own cluster. In that case, right? That's how the isolation works.
1: A namespace is a resource pool, which is a group of resources. Yep. Whatever you stand up in that resource pool is totally up to you. You, if you're ah, running NISX, so you, NSX, you can be standing names but you can have multiple clusters. You could have clusters and virtual machines because we now do uh, VM service. So from Cube Cuddle, you can say create a virtual machine. Um, You or or you could use vSphere pods if you're running NSX. So the the nice thing there is here's your sandbox. Go play and leave me alone, kid.
0: Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so you can actually run multiple. You can multiplex the cluster, though. You can have multiple namespaces because of this. I mean, you're not running one to one because that's something when people originally were standing up Kubernetes back in the stone ages on bare metal Linux, I remember, you would end up with kind of one cluster per namespace a lot of times. And this this allows you to have, you know, test and dev in the same cluster and things like that. In
1: the same name, Um, within the same vSphere namespace.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then
1: within those Kubernetes clusters that you're running in your vSphere namespace, you can create. Kubernetes namespaces within them.
2: It doesn't sound too difficult then. I thought you said this was complex. I mean, when are we going to get to the complex part?
1: (laughs) As as soon as the thing stops spinning on the the browser.
0: (laughs) (laughs) right. so we've got got policies for networking, we've got policies for storage, we've got policies for compute, we've got efficiency, we've got segmentation so Pete and I don't step on each other's toes. Um, We've got visibility operationally uh, so the VMware admin can see what you know? What's running where, and what's consuming what? Um, what's my minimum cluster size? I guess to get going with this,
1: supported or William Lamb suggested.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go with both. Let's go with both. Uh,
1: all yeah. right. Su- supported. Uh, you really want three hosts if you're not using vSAN. Four hosts if you are. Uh, William has gotten this all running on one host. <laughs>
2: Definitely not supported, but yeah, it yeah. definitely uh, helps with the proof of concept, right?
1: Yeah. I'm gonna get it down to two.
2: <laughs> this is like name that tune.
1: Are you gonna get it down <laughs> to two with or without VSAM?
0: <laughs> uh, vSAN actually with two node can do local raids. So you can do four four copies of data now in two. So you can do that. Well, wow. uh, My understanding actually talking to the engineers is the reason for pushing for more was actually more from the NSX side, from quorum from it, um, from its basis. It's actually the it was the NSX management plane that was driving for and that was for VCF actually was what was driving the four node. But um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of fun stuff coming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's really, really interesting. We I think we're really on the precipice of uh, some major changes in both software and hardware. Right.
2: Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, That's stuff we can share about, you know, on on this podcast, but <laughs> definitely exactly. some really interesting stuff coming very soon. Um, exactly. And so I'm definitely going to leave links uh, on the show notes of this podcast uh, for folks that are doing deployment, things to consider, things to architect. Uh, but I'm, I am curious, um, what are some of, because I know you've deployed it a million times. So it, what are some of the things that, uh, that you think are, are probably the most common, either questions or mistakes that people make when they start to... To plan and deploy this um <laughs>
1: probably the biggest challenges i had when i first got thrown into the uh, frying pan was figuring out ciders and all the 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 network ip ranges and ip ranges versus ciders and some are used here and some are used there and it, it was all very very confusing mm-hmm. In the show notes, you'll have links to my um, where I take my vSphere with Tanzu quick start guide and essentially converted it to a series of three to five minute long YouTube videos where I do step by step by step. And in one of those videos, I explain all of the networking using. I have uh, you know essentially uh, two hundred and fifty six numbers and I'm using colors to section out and say, okay, this cider equals this range and this cider equals this range. And it really me going through the exercise of creating that burned it into my brain how it needs to be done properly. Yeah. And uh, I would say the biggest pain point that many customers were having early on in this process was the networking, right? Uh, Making making sure that they're using everything uh, properly and that they're putting in the pro- appropriate DNS names, the appropriate gateways, the appropriate ranges, the appropriate ciders, rather complex because mm. you're talking about a whole bunch of different things, right? It's, um, and whether or not things need to be routable, and uh, yeah, it, it, I'd say network is part of the biggest thing.
2: Interesting, because I've done a lot of work with uh, with uh, vSphere, with Tanzu, um, w- w- with vSAN, and uh, it, it's interesting because for us, we just deploy it from our Nimbus environment, and it just appears. Right you know, and it's right. such a wonderful thing. Like I just, I say, okay, I wanna, you know, I wanna cluster, I just boom, everything's done. Supervisor clusters already deployed, everything's already enabled, I can just start using it right away. So yeah, it seems like it's very possible to, uh, to make this a simple process, but there's still obviously from a vSphere administrator who wants to have a lot more control over their environment, wants to have governance uh, over whether it's, you know, resources and storage and things like that. There's obviously, uh, there's a lot of considerations to standing this up
1: yeah and you know the thing is standing it up for a lab doesn't necessarily mean you should mind you you could but doesn't necessarily mean you should then take that lab and roll it out into production
2: <laughs> yeah sure
1: <laughs> right the lab is there for you to get comfortable with the the concepts and so forth then you have to go through a second round of planning for how am i going to do this in production
2: right right yeah
1: um, in my quick start guide, you will see a bunch of chunks of power CLI code that I wrote to help set up vSphere to do all the stuff. Because you have to set up some SPBM policies, uh, you have to set up a uh, content library, you have to set up a whole bunch of other bits and pieces. And, you know, as, as you well know, sometimes setting those things up can take a fair amount of time in the GUI and you, you fat finger something and poof you're done. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, I found by committing it to code meant the fat, I, I lowered the amount of fat fingering opportunities. And if I screwed something up, Oh, I didn't do that policy. Right. Delete, fix the code, rerun. The code comes right up. Nice. Right. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Especially for lab environments, you would take these chunks of code and say, okay, this is how I'm going to set things up. And for NIM for for our Nimbus environment, I'm actually doing that as well. Very cool.
2: Yeah. So nice. I know I know you also did some. Uh, and I will leave, as we mentioned, links in the show notes uh, yep. to those documents, to those guides. Um, you also did a whole series called Quick Bites, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah. Like you took little pieces of the, you know, John said, what's a namespace? You know, like, help us understand that. Help yeah. us understand these various pieces. I know that you uh, you basically broke down a whole series of, uh, you know, answers to all these important questions. And so uh, I'm going to leave links to those as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, like I said, no episode. I think the longest episode is four minutes and 55 seconds. Perfect. Right. <laughs> and so they're all in bite-sized chunks. And if you've already completed the first couple of tasks, just watch the next one and go, oh, OK, now I understand what he's talking about, because I'm kind of interpreting what the documentation is saying and what the UI is saying and trying to break it down into something that everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. And off they go and get on to the next step. Right. The last place we really want customers to be fumbling with things is at the UI level. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and actually, you've seen since 7.0 came out, uh, incremental changes to the UI where we've been fixing things and, and uh, rewriting some of the, the text in the UI, all of that was essentially myself and Miles and a couple of other folks sitting down with the UI team and and the PMs. And we are stepping through installations going, no, 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 don't say it like that. Say it like this.
2: Very this nice. Is,
1: right. So putting it into vSphere admin language as opposed to what the The developers were DevOps type folks. So they're putting it into DevOps language. And uh, yeah, uh, you'll see even more over time.
2: It's comforting to know you got people that are, you know, that have had the many, many of hours uh, driving vSphere, uh, you know, being able to give input into these uh, to these to this UI. So that's that's definitely comforting.
1: Yeah. And actually, that's probably the most uh, rewarding thing I get to do is, is to be able to advocate on behalf of the vSphere admin, because I understand that you know they've got a million and one other things to do. And the last thing they really want to have to deal with is a UI that's just not working for them. Right.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, very cool. I love the spin. I love I love the fact that you know there's you know because as we we all know VSphere with Tanzu uh, TKG, it's it's very um, you know there's a there's a whole conversation for developers. There's a whole conversation for IT admins, uh, and I love the fact that you're grabbing the reins on the on the 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 IT admins uh, perspective of this. And there's a lot of really great information that you've been putting out there. Um, so I will leave links to those on the podcast. But any closing thoughts on on for deploying VSphere with before we take off
1: um yeah there's uh there's gonna be some some more stuff coming uh that will make it a little easier uh check out the the all the content that that's already been created by myself by miles uh certainly by michael west michael west has been working on hands-on labs for a lot of this stuff um i don't know what the status of it is but check out hands-on labs and walk through Follow uh, a hands-on lab on setting a lot of this stuff up. It will really give you that sense of comfort because remember, you're building a cloud, yeah, and that's a non-trivial exercise. No matter whose product you're using, you know it. Uh, it, it requires some amount of thought. It requires some amount of planning in order to make your end users' experience as seamless as possible and that's what a a vSphere admin is there for is to provide a seamless experience to their end user when they're not choking them like bart simpson
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good visual (laughs) john i'm gonna give you the last word any any closing thoughts before we take off
0: i was gonna say no that image is just that 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 illustration's burned into my brain so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've got a couple. I've got a couple of projects. I've got a new host sitting on my out of view over here, my old desktop. So I'm going to be spinning up some new projects. So I'll I, be. I've got an old host sitting right here. Uh, you I and see the that. VAX. <laughs> that,
1: that's that's my VAX uh, VAX 4000-100 uh, That still boots VMS, and that oh box is twenty three, twenty four years old.
0: Did that support LPARs though? No. <laughs> just hardware no. virtualization just, a, just old school it's
1: just a whole it's just a whole bunch of scuzzy discs and a and 32 megabytes of memory
2: nice i love it Ooh. i love it yeah we need some pictures of that one yeah. alright well that music tells me it's time to go and so if you want to get in touch with us send us an email at podcast at VMware.com. you can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast you can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com a big thanks to my good friend Mike Foley for joining us this week we're back next week but until then bye for now Mike great job man part where John usually dances. Enough of this jibber jabber!